Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. You know, Josh, I was thinking the other day, one of my favorite artists, may he rest in peace, uh, Meatloaf, has a great song out there. Two out of three ain't bad. Um, and that's true in this case, but really, we we need Stephen. We are not complete without him. So luckily, this is our last rerun week. So I'm happy, but I also am very curious to know, what is the episode that we're going to be listening to? You know, that is a great question, Emily. And I must say, I agree with you that three out of three is better. So we are presenting the episode that originally aired as our sixth episode the heretic in our midst there's a lot of going on i apologize about that people but i promise the episode is much better than me lisping over here and steven's in it which makes it even better enjoy ah hallelujah oh Mm. what's josh drinking that was some good slurpage i'm drinking a lemon cello lacroix I heard it described as if you took a LaCroix and threw it through the Italian countryside. Okay. Okay. Wow. It tastes like well, like vanilla and lemon. It's really weird. Mm, oh, that's we'll very that. descriptive. Yeah. What about mm. Emily? What's Emily drinking? I'm drinking my go-to of British blend with honey and milk. Oh, oh, a honey and cream tea. I love it. Is, is that, is that mm-hmm. hot or iced? Hot. Today it's hot. Mm-hmm. There you go. What about you, Stephen? Uh, I'm working on a little bit of apple juice and some water. Uh, I, I had a full day of podcasting today, so I'm just t- trying to keep care of my voice. You know, you get it. Excellent. Oh, Excellent. Um, I was curious to ask you guys what you're currently reading. Besides the Bible? Yes, besides the Bible, what Pastor I always Emily. Read. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a heathen. I don't remember the last time I actually read the Bible directly. Oh. Oh, it's, it's been a little bit. Not gonna lie. Uh, okay, should that be an episode where we discuss that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Josh. No judge. Um, no judge. Next up, next up on my docket, I just finished um, Harry Potter. I've been trying to like balance between like some thinking books and some non-thinking books. So the next up on my docket is this book called Just Faith. The subtitle is Reclaiming Progressive Christianity, and it just came out. I don't know what to think yet. I'm excited to read it. It looks good. Mm. Mm. Are you reading anything besides the Bible, Emily? I am, yes. Um, I just finished uh, Lord of the Rings for fun. Nice. I'm trying to do this thing where I have a balance of reading for work and reading for fun. And so my next book will be reading for work. Um, But I'm going to be reading some Greek translations of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. 
Oh, wow. To kind of brush up on my Greek. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Right on. Well, I'm uh, cracking into a workbook myself. My my office just ordered a bunch of copies of Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I've been kind of digging into his TED Talks, like preparing to really dig into the book because um, we kind of choose books in our office that help us set the tone for like what kind of office culture we're after. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I got I got to play a hand in choosing this book and I'm so excited about it. Like I've been digging into his TED Talks and like in the in the book, um, he talks a lot about how the the different feel good emotions that the brain produces for us. Um, he talks about serotonin, endorphins, dopamine, and oxytocin, and he actually breaks them down into like here are a couple that you can basically satisfy yourself. Like endorphins and dopamine can essentially mm. be like satisfied on your own, right? Like endorphins help mask physical pain, so you get like a runner's high from it or something, right? And then dopamine is like when you achieve a goal or like check something off a task list or you get a ding on your phone or you have another drink or, you know, Mm -hmm. like dopamine is the dangerous one that can be gamed into uh, social media apps and all that. Um, Yeah. But that's kind of why. Yeah. But that's kind of why he just finds it as like a selfish chemical. Whereas Hmm. he talks about how serotonin and oxytocin are like the communal chemicals. And I was like, oh. I've been talking about community and the benefits of community and this is so cool to dig into. Right. So like serotonin Mm -hmm. being kind of like the leadership chemical where, uh, this is where we get like senses of pride, self-confidence, recognition, status. Um, this is like parent child relationship, boss team member relationship. Um, like recognition is kind of what gives us serotonin and what it does is helps us kind of arrange ourselves into hierarchy whether that's more structured like you know the boss to the team member or if it's less formal where mm-hmm. you know there's some there seems to be just like a a charismatic leader to a group that just ends up having to like shoulder the responsibility of acting like the alpha because we've all mm. determined to like give him the most recognition so like the people with the mm. most serotonin in a group tend to be like the natural leaders of mm. that group which has been oh, interesting that's interesting And then oxytocin, he's talking about how this is like the trust and love chemical and how we get it like from physical touch and we get it from Uh deep moments of connection, like in conversation. If somebody trusts you with information about their life or about their about their circumstances, like it helps us feel safe inside a group and in relationship. And what I loved about it is that you can get oxytocin by simply witnessing another act of love and trust out there. So like if I watched Mm. Josh and Emily give each other a hug. I get oxytocin from that. Oh, isn't that wild? I, I bet there's some studies out there about like getting oxytocin from the shows we watch, like not just dopamine, but mm. oxytocin. Oh. There's got to be something. I believe there too. it. Oh, well, and that's that's what I that's what I term like the quote. This is how things should be. Unquote mm. feeling like yeah. Mm-hmm. An enneagram one. <laughs> that's me. Like I feel like I can tune into. Oh, this is how humanity should be behaving. Like. Oh, that's so good right. to see like a pure act of trust and love or connection, or, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if we would tie oxytocin. Do, does he mention anything about oxytocin related to um, like celebrities and like relating to either like someone's death or like someone's life transition, like someone that you don't actually know? Oh, interesting. Because uh, I bet that could be wrapped up in there too. I don't know if I've pulled that, but so like to to bring it to 
current events, like, is this kind of what you think you might be feeling with the passing of the notorious RBG? Oh, I think a lot of people are feeling that. Or like people were definitely feeling that with um, Kobe Bryant earlier this year or oh, like yep. Rachel Held Evans last year. Yeah. Um, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's kind of a good example of feeling that like love and trust, even like for someone that you didn't have a personal relationship yeah. with. Yeah. I and you get the, the, that excellent warm feeling of like that person. I never met them. They didn't know I existed in like a existential sense. Like we never met. They never heard my name, but they contributed to mm-hmm. my life somehow. Or um, mm-hmm. even like Chadwick Boseman. It's like that guy modeled such a cool superhero right and like had such a genuine way of relating to his fans and uh people he would meet yeah i think there definitely is something to that especially when we see celebrities acting charitable oh yeah okay so here's a question i have for you steven and i can't tell if you're going this direction or not but i feel like you've mentioned multiple times already how much community you feel in a small group setting and even like a setting like where you're meeting just to play dungeons and dragons do mm. you do you make the connection between like experiencing that oxytocin like with other people? Are you like trying to relate that to community? And do you feel like that's why you find community in that space, even if it's like not specifically religious? Oh, that was precisely where I was headed with it, Josh. Okay, so... I couldn't tell. <laughs> A plus, Josh. Oh, you led me there so perfectly because I've been thinking about our conversations about what it means to be an individual inside a community and like trying to define community in any particular way. And I think listening back to our old episodes and kind of doing some editing work, I think I may have been guilty of possibly uh, presenting the idea that like community must equal some religious sense or uh, like I'm, Mm. I'm questioning even my own thesis in there should be a clear goal or direction to a community. I think some of Mm. it could be purely aesthetic or purely uh, just like trying to find your people or like people. Actually, it's really funny that you bring that up. Someone sent me that. Someone like texted me some feedback about it. And I'm really glad they did because I think they brought up a great point. They like oh, literally no said that exact same thing. Like it can be about aesthetic community and like literally trying to find your people. And it doesn't yeah. have to be goal driven. And I was like, that's really well articulated. So it's really funny right. that you came to the own, like your own conclusion about that already. <laughs> oh, that's so. Yeah, because I, I don't think. I don't want to come out of the gate in Ravel saying like the only way to find community is make sure it's a religious context and like put some belief right. behind it. Cause I, oh, we've, we've talked about how belief doesn't necessarily have to like be present in order for a community to really find some roots and right. uh, experience like this high dose of oxytocin, like this deep trust and love and sense of safety among ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like, well, I know you believe this, like XYZ, that makes me feel safe. That's not what we're talking about, right? So Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about too, uh, kind of the conversation we had about how there's something that transcends a gathering of people. Like we've talked about like a unique personality to a group that kind of comes out of Mm -hmm. collecting. And uh, it, it, every time it makes me think of Rob Bell's talk, everything is spiritual and how he kind of Mm -hmm. relates um, the spiritual world well, first of all, so his brand new book is everything is spiritual based on these themes. And he's like, of course, everything is spiritual. Like, mm. why do we have to delineate uh, n- saying saying something is spiritual um, means something is not. But to him, it's like, no, everything is. 
And the way he pulls that thesis is essentially he recognizes whenever you put component parts together into the next level of matter or the next level of community, group, whatever, something new comes out of it. So he talks about how quarks combine for atoms, atoms, molecules, molecules, cells, cells, bodies, bodies, communities, you know, like, and it kind of pushes Mm. all the way up into it, like collect enough cells together and it makes a human being. What is the thing that arises that we call consciousness? Um, And if that's not spiritual, what can we call spiritual at that point? So taking his thought experiment further, I was thinking about how, so like we get an individual, which we've talked about, Mm -hmm. and then plus one, and this could be like plus a spouse, best friend, uh, or a parent relationship. You know, you have two people and now there's, there's a space between you that you get to contribute to and pull out of kind of like that emotional bank kind of concept. And then more and more people kind of pile in together and you get like a friend group or what a church might call a small group or what we would call like a house church kind of concept, like a, a tight knit version of the macro, which put enough small groups together. Then you have like a congregation (laughs) and a church like, right. And that starts organizing itself around specific creeds, doctrines, uh, constitutions, whatever. And pushing that out further, of course, we see, we start seeing like town, county, state, city, country, continent, planet. Right. Right. Like we can, it's like bits and bits and bits all the way down. Like you can take as many Lego pieces off the set and then you discover like an, in what you thought was a single piece is now like its own set or something. I don't know how we didn't bring this up last time, but you, you're making me think of that one verse. Um, I think Jesus says it. It's something like wherever, like there's two or three, like I'm there with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's yeah. not Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about, Emily? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's when two or more gather that, in my name. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. And I feel like what you're kind of getting at here, and I haven't read that book by Rob Bell yet, but I feel like what he's getting at is like the the false dichotomy of like the sacred and the profane. At least that's what it sounds like based off of how you're describing it. But maybe like- Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. What I feel like you're getting at, and maybe you're not saying it in these words, but to me, it seems like you're kind of saying, like, even just between two people, like, God is there in the relationship because there's, like, something different there that's not the people. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Like, there's, like, there's, like, a sacred space, like, between us, like, when we're, when we're relating to other people, this Mm. somehow is not us. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me think of that verse. I think that that brings kind of an interesting light to that, that verse, like, almost like God is in the space between us. Mm-hmm. God is in the space between us, and what I'm growing to be more convinced of is that the God in the space between us doesn't necessarily have to be addressed. Right. Uh, what do you mean? So, well, we came out of the last episode, and this is a, a question I wanted to pose to you guys: is um, Ooh, okay? Is it in your functional version or functional definition of being a Christian? So, if we're gonna be able to label someone a Christian or they get to choose that identity for themselves. Mm -hmm. Does a, like a church expression have to be a part of that? Like, is that an ingredient that must be present for a a person to claim Christian or Christianity? Oh, I can't wait for Emily to answer this one. My, I already have an answer, but I, (laughs) Josh, you, you go first, Josh, you go first. Um, I I think, thank you. Um, I think that that question is not equal to, but it is really similar to the question, do you have to read the Bible to be a Christian? Because mm. 
the Bible did not exist in print form for 75% of historical Christianity, at least in mass printed form. Like the printing press was not around and mm. there, like there was handwritten text, but it was like highly restricted and to read, the, like to be Christian did not mean to read the Bible for the majority of Christian experience. Sure. And even though it's not quite the same situation, I think it's a similar question with the church. Yeah, it's like a parallel question. E- yeah, like obviously the church has existed for the majority of Christianity, but like it didn't for a second. Like it took a while for like Christians to become kind of mainstream. Like I know like the introduction of Christendom and like the Roman Empire really helped get things afloat, but like for a while like it was not normal. And like mm-hmm. they were kind of making it up as they went along, like meeting in houses and it definitely felt more like a grassroots kind of thing than like an established religion. Like in sociology, they would call it a new religious movement. Like for a long time, mm-hmm. Christianity was a new religious movement mm-hmm. and churches were like not a concept. Like you can talk all you want about like Ecclesia in the Greek, but like what we know today as church was not a concept for a while, especially Americanized Christianity. Like it's right. It's changed quite a bit even since like the introduction of like the church institution. So mm-hmm. I think that that question is really loaded to be honest, because not only <laughs> do we have all of those historical issues, but even currently there's such a variety in what it means to even define church expression. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like for instance, not just like even talking about denominations, but could you clarify church as like church expression as including the small group experience or is it only meeting together in the big building we call the church because there's like these church networks that are popping up that are literally just house churches mm-hmm. but they're what you and i would maybe just call a small group so i that's a really complicated question and my short answer is no i'm a hundred percent with josh um Especially it's so Josh, it's funny you bring up the Greek word, because if you actually look at the Greek word, it doesn't actually mean like group of people or anything. It means to be sent out like it actually means. Oh, really? Yes. It means to be sent out to be to go out. Mm. And so when I think of it's funny when I think of my church, like the congregation that I'm serving. Yes, they are the church. But when they go out into the community, when they go out into their everyday lives and interact Mm. with people that may or may not be in the pews with them the following Sunday. That's also church. Is it similar to the, uh, the word for apostle? Cause wasn't that a word that referred to like ships that were sent out? Yes, you are absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. You bring up a good point about like historically, at least for the Bible, if that was the case, then think about all those people who would, technically be considered not christians because the bible wasn't printed and so if we're thinking (laughs) about church and we're thinking about the establishment you know that brings up a lot of questions too because what about people who claim jesus but they fit in a different denomination than us and like that just brings up so many questions because then you start diving into oh well it says in the bible and blah 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 but mm-hmm. you but we don't actually get to touch on the topic itself of like no 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 go back to what we're talking about in regards to church and whether or not like other groups of people 
who are not called church, can they still mm. call themselves Christian? Like that's that's the main question. And I agree with Josh. I I don't think it's necessary. Nope, I do not. Well, and I feel like we run into some interesting mm. situations in America and possibly some other modernized countries, but I don't want to speak for them because I'm not there. But I think that we're running into some interesting situations with um we were kind of talking about like the hyper individualization of what word did I just say? In- individualized <laughs> with like highly individualized um <laughs> versions of like leaving church. Like we're not a culture where that centers on religious identity. Right. No matter like regardless of your church behavior. Whereas today, I feel mm. like maybe we are going to experience this more with the pandemic still going on, but like not people, I think people do equate the like not going to church equals not being a Christian, but that often mm-hmm. comes from like being told that that's what that means. Right. But like, yeah, but like, oh. then you have to reconcile things with that, like with church transition, like whether you're just moving or you're like church hopping or like. I don't know, work came up and you like couldn't go to church for a month. Right. So I feel like it's stuff like that that still makes me feel like as much as I, it's so obvious to me that religious community is like a center point of Christianity that like you, that can't be the only definition mm-hmm. still. I, right. I love what you just said about we're, we're basically taught that it might be part of the definition. Um, and now and now what we're doing here today is kind of raveling out that implication. Like, do I really have to be, uh, like part of the, the Sunday morning thing mm-hmm. to call myself? That's what I've been struggling with ever mm-hmm. since we, uh, kind of stepped out of our old situation. Like I've said it before on the mm-hmm. podcast, but I, I don't feel any guilt about not going to church in the last two months. And you shouldn't. And I don't think I, to put it uh, like Josh, you said there's a question about is it a transition? Are you looking for a new context? Are you looking for something that's more theologically in line with where you've discovered yourself? It's like mm-hmm. for me, I'm not really searching anymore either. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think probably what I'm rejecting the most is the boundary that I am starting to see between the small group, like the tight knit small group setting that upgrades when you put enough small groups together and then you get the Sunday thing to, you know, to be sent out by, Mm -hmm. as Emily put it, I think that the boundary between there, between small group setting and congregational setting is where Mm. I'm seeing a lot of problematic implications of group think. Like, I think the group gets too big Mm -hmm. so that an individual can't feel like they can do the the inner work that they need to do without starting to feel like they're going to get some pushback sure. uh, from people who are trying to demand a status quo. You know what's really funny to me about that is that if we like looked at the biblical arc the Bible kind of like warns us against that anyway. Like oh. the like the tradition of the prophet like being the yes. thorn in the side of the community. Mm. You bring up a good point. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of liked, I kind of liked to think that Paul's thorn in the side, like maybe was a person and not just like a personal struggle <laughs> with sin or something. Like, what oh. if he's just like making these snarky comments? Like, so I've got this thorn in the side. You know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like keeping me humble, like making sure I'm not, you know, yeah, just like confirmation biasy all the time. That's true. That's a good point. So I don't know. I know what you're talking about, Stephen. 
But like, it's funny that we've fallen into that trap in the religious context when like it's staring at us in the face in our Bible. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and I think so you bring up a good point because I think about. I think one of the things that I'm noticing in this distinction is that it's your choice whether or not you choose to go. And I think that's the distinction because there are people who may want to go to church and they can't for a number of reasons. Maybe it's work, like Josh had said, or if they're homebound and they aren't actually physically able to go. And so if we were to say, oh, you have to attend church in order to be considered a Christian, that would mean, oh, anyone who's homebound or anyone who's working Mm. on a Sunday is not Christian. So I think the fact that, like, (laughs) Stephen, you are saying, well, I know I can, you know, and maybe or maybe Mm. not, I should not or whatever the case may be. It's the fact that you have that choice of saying, no, I'd rather not attend. And so for you then to formulate for yourself. So am I Christian like that? You're you're kind of wrestling with because you have that choice and are you making the right choice or wrong choice? That's kind of what I'm sensing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so what I want to recognize is that it's going to be easy hearing me say that and be like, Oh, he's just trying to like lone wolf it or, you know, because yeah, I, like, exactly. I don't, I don't want to be the guy who's like, you don't need church. You don't need small group. You don't need Bible study. You shouldn't even pray. Like it's because I'm, I'm so convinced that like that hyper individualism is not, a healthy expression of what it means to be a part of our Christian faith. Like right. there's, there's a community aspect. Sure. I do think that needs to be met. I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to reject and what I'm struggling with rejecting, whether that be a, a weird sense of guilt or shame about it is uh, I'm trying to reject the group think aspect of it. Um, which I think comes across as, Oh, he just wants to like go off and do his own thing. And I can recognize that like isolation is deadly. Um, right in any right. kind of context, like uh, even Simon Sinek in the book I was talking about, he talks about how this is why like people who don't have enough of these feel good hormones, especially serotonin, like if there's not enough mm. serotonin there mm-hmm. and you start feeling the rejection from the group and your serotonin levels go down, this makes you depressed. This makes you more likely to fall off uh, the back of the herd. Um, and this is why like the lions hunt the sick ones, the ones that are falling behind and not uh, sure like part of the group enough and like we know this the bible even uh talks about this is like we we believe that our messiah understands the necessity to be in a group like this is why he goes and hunts the one sheep over the 99 because the 99 can handle themselves Mm -hmm. but if if we're off alone we can be picked off right Mm. like and this is why horror movies terrify us the way they do because like okay so have you guys seen alien Yes. No. Of course. <gasps> okay. <What>? E- Whoops. <laughs> Emily. Yes. Do any of the characters in Alien ever die together? No. no they're always mm. picked off one by they one oh. when they're, and that's what makes that what that's what <gasps> makes it so terrifying to us. Is there's something yep. deep in our ancestral mm. body that is like being alone is not good. You're gonna get haunted by the creepy alien. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good it's point. a one at a time kind of effect i really liked how you brought up steven about like the way community functions as like a resource like i've been thinking about this for a while about how i think the church i mean you can apply this to any religion too but like the american christian church is probably the most widespread 
and most beneficial community resource. Like theology aside, mm-hmm. like toxic communities aside, like overall, like the church, because it's a community, provides such a social resource for millions of people. Mm. Like just because you are literally yep. meeting together in the same room, you're getting that serotonin, you have like social ties and resources available to you that, to be honest, you don't have if you're like lone wolfing it, kind of like you said. But Stephen, I would argue, I think you're still experiencing religious community. Yes. Oh. <gasps> Tell me about it. I would argue, and I, I don't have the literature to back me up yet. I will find sources that back me up later <laughs> but i think you were kind of talking about this with rob bell about like things being spiritual but like i think that has more to do what i hear you saying in that is like that there should be no separation between sacred and profane i think a better definition of spiritual is like the individual's experience of spirituality like i kind of wrote about that in my undergrad thesis about how like aa does exist as a group but it's centered around the individual's spiritual experience like a spiritual Mm. awakening like it has more to do with like the psychology and the spirituality of the self even though there's like a group aspect to it but i would argue what you experience in D &D and maybe like what people experience in like a concert setting is more in line with a religious experience and a religious community than it is a spiritual one Like, because you're like, you're not necessarily meeting together with the same purpose, but you're like all there for the same thing. Like, it's your people. Mm -hmm. Like, we all love this band. We all love D&D and we love doing it together. And I think that's religious experience. I think it should be considered not religion, but like a religious experience. Yeah. And like, I think I think it would count as religious community on some level, Mm -hmm. even if it's not institutionalized. Like, that's a whole different Mm. thing, I think. Right. I think you have a problem with institutionalized religion. Yeah. Not religious experience. I would agree. And maybe, so maybe the whole problem or the issue at hand was just terminology and trying to find the right naming for the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Because even though you all gather for D&D, you each individually take something different than the person next to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. uh, Yes. Yep. So it's still like you still have that individual and I guess in this sense, spiritual experience, but you are all there gathered together for the same reason because you all love D&D. And that, in my sense, would be the religious experience of what you get from it. I also think, too, is that it kind of goes back to what we were saying about how like something else exists in the space. Like mm. at a concert, for instance, like you do kind of experience that like oceanic oneness. Like you could talk about like it being kind of like a mystical experience, like being swept away and like forgetting about yourself consciously and literally just enjoying the moment. But I think more importantly, you experience like a new thing that literally does not exist unless you're like mm-hmm. in that moment. Like like with us, for instance, like we're each our own people and like we experience something completely different in this podcast space mm-hmm. that's mm. not us right does that help steven i feel so heard right now oh it does help i think i think emily you put your finger right on it and you poked the pressure point and you got it because i think it is a terminology game i'm so glad you guys have been talking about my D group 
<laughs> without me. Like you, you're you're describing to me what it's like to be in that group, and you've never been there. <laughs> oh yay! Excellent. But what I what I think a group like this does for me is it satisfies the very human and the very real need um, to be a relational being, I, and it prevents me from isolating too much, mm. which we've established mm-hmm. is dangerous. Um, But at the same time, it's a small enough group that group think doesn't really ever, it's not allowed to happen, right? Like the institutionalized something about it Mm -hmm. uh, isn't allowed to, to end up there. Yes, we have a dungeon master who kind of helps us like guide through the story, but there's so much freedom outside of that. It's like we have the guardrails, but then here we go. We can, we can write whatever we want in between here. And I guess if we're making a parallel to like a religious experience, (laughs) the Dungeons and Dragons rules handbook is more of an inerrant Bible than the Bible is (laughs) to me. Oh, (laughs) because like, because what the rule book says goes, whereas, whereas Mm. the Bible, like there's so Mm. much squishiness to it oh as in like with the D &D book there's like no room for interpretation you're like nope that's what it says like wizards of the coast said this is how their game operates so we're gonna follow the rules but express ourselves within the constraints that are brought down to us Mm -hmm. off the mountain whatever you know like (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh i've never thought of it that way but it is satisfying a, a deeply religious element of humanity like if, even considering like sitting around the table, eating a meal together, like snacking on pretzels, making drinks. It's like there's there's actual ritual to it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the ritual aspect is also a key component. I feel like that's what makes a, like a concert experience also, a, I would argue, a form of religious experience because there's mm-hmm. there's like a ritual in singing the songs together. Like it's really like the only other place. That you get kind of that like worship experience that like the church has invented where you're like, we're all singing the same song and it's an right. experience. I've witnessed that a couple times in and in my in my past way of looking at it. Uh, so I like I was up on the, the edge seats of the uh, Metro Arena and we went and saw Earth, Wind and Fire in Chicago <gasps> here in Billings. Oh, and my no joke. I was watching people on the floor like they were full on dancing like uh, and raising their hands. People were weeping, hearing the songs of their childhood and slain in the spirit. And my attitude then I was looking down on them like, what are you doing? Why are you <laughs> doing this? You you look like a fool. Mm. But now like, <laughs> I feel like my attitude is like good freaking on you, man. Like that's the Yes. You're mm. you're here. You're engaging in it. Whereas me, like I was trying to detach too much and like trying mm-hmm. to analyze the situation and be like, why are they doing this? The music is good, but is it that good? Like, but instead they just get to like surrender themselves to the thing and let mm-hmm. it be the thing. Okay, sure. You, Stephen, with that, you made me think of something interesting, and I think I have a thought that I want to bounce off Emily. Oh. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. 
we want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Emily. Okay. Yeah. Because Stephen's been talking too much. I don't want to ask Stephen this question. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephen, you're um, done. You're what do cut you off. Think, this is kind of going back to my thought about like how the the biblical tradition has like the the role of the prophet and like the uh, the person preaching truth to power or groupthink or like whatever you want to fit in there. What do you mm-hmm. think? how much or to what extent are the heretics also a part of Christian community, whether it's historically or like a part of like a specific community. Oh man. What do you think? Because like the, like Orthodox traditions also have like this concept of a Holy fool that like Mm -hmm. also points us to God. Right. Like they're not necessarily a saint, like on some level they're ridiculous and foolish but they point us to God still. Right. Well, and so that's a, that's a good question because if you think about, you know, a heretic, they're essentially someone who's holding an opinion that's at Mm -hmm. odds with what's generally accepted. And so is a heretic essentially just an institutionalized word for someone who doesn't fit in? Like, right. Yeah. Somebody's questioning (sighs) the status quo almost. Right. Yeah. And so it's, is it, is it really heresy? because what they're saying is actually wrong or is it just considered heresy because they just do not fit in with the status quo and the person challenging the status quo is actually trying to create a space of growth and openness to interpretation or belief or whatever that mm-hmm. oh josh well here's a well here's a thought this 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 is my first example that i've thought of the idea about the oneness of God, like God mm-hmm. not being Trinity. Yeah. Like, for instance, the Baha'i faith oh. does not affirm any sort of like Trinitarian or dualistic view of God. They're just like, God is one being, one person. Mm-hmm. We're monotheistic. And they're obviously not Christian. Like, they, they've like right. separated themselves. They're like, we are monotheists, but we are not Christians. Right. I wouldn't call that heresy. I would just call that like, that's not Christian. Right. Because they, they, they're defining themselves as not Christian. But there's mm-hmm. like, there's movements within Pentecostalism that are not mm-hmm. Trinitarian. That's true. Like they are emphatically non-Trinitarian. And I think we actually have to wrestle with that. Like we can disagree and be like, well, like the church historically has been Trinitarian. And like we have all of this like backing us up. But like they are, they kind of have a similar belief to Baha'i, but they are like still emphatically no, we're Christian though. Right. So like, I don't know, what do we do with that? I think we have to like somehow reconcile 
well, they're still a part of the Christian community, but they believe something that like a lot of people would kind of call an essential thing to not believe. Right. Well, and so you also have to acknowledge like even Christianity historically had issues with whether or not they they were even going to be like Trinitarian because that's kind of Mm -hmm. like how. Mm -hmm. Wait, what do you mean? Well, so they had they had the Aryans who had a perspective that was completely different. And that's essentially like why the Nicene Creed is the way it is because of this huge feud that came out when Constantinople was. So if you go back historically, you did not know this. No, tell me this. Tell me this. This is news. Okay, so I have to hold on. Let me I have to make sure I have my dates and everything (laughs) correct. I appreciate you so hard. (laughs) So if you look at the Nicene Creed, which is a statement, you know, widely used in christian liturgy right it the, it came out because of the first council of nicaea in the year 325 and it came down because there was this huge argument between between these two groups of people who were saying okay are we going to say that jesus is essentially like part of the godhead or like is he is he fully human? Is he fully divine? Like, how does that work? Mm. Is is Jesus going to be considered part of God if he's human? And that led to a whole debate. And that's why we have the Nicene Creed now that we have now is saying, okay. like, yes, we do agree that Jesus is fully human and fully divine and part of the three in one. Right. And so even first century Christians or those trying to figure out if they're going to be called Christians were deciding are we heretics because we don't agree with what's being discussed at this council? Like Mm, what, mm. what is happening here? And so I just think it's, I think heretics are prophets that are ignored, you know? Mm. And maybe, and maybe there are some, you know, maybe there are heretics who speak ill or are trying to intentionally break away from the group in order to destroy the group. But there also could be prophets who have an agenda and can do the same thing. And so that's just kind of a very gray area if you think about it. A couple years ago, I don't remember how we got onto this, but a couple years ago, some friends and I Googled the KKK. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but they consider themselves a Christian organization. They were like a Christian fraternity back in the day. And they have a statement. Yeah, they still do. They have a statement of belief on their website like a church would. Like, here's what we believe about Christianity and here's the verses that we find that in. And the majority of that like statement feels like really mainstream Christianity. Like, we believe God is Trinity. We believe Jesus is God's son. We believe the Bible is God's word. We believe this about church. We believe this about sin. We believe, like, it's really outlined mm-hmm. and it doesn't get to racism until like the last two points. And they like have like quote unquote biblical basis for that, whatever. But like, I feel much more comfortable with calling that heresy. Yes. Even though like the majority of their belief, if you like want to call it majority, I feel like that's, you can't apply that to something abstract. I don't think Mm -hmm. even if like most of their like doctrinal statements seem to line up with historical Christianity, I feel like it's a no brainer to be like, nope, that's not Christianity. Right. Like they, they obviously don't believe in like, God coming to save the world and all people. Well, and that's so you bring up a good point because you have to think about so many different theology in the world. And so, like, the KKK statement would be a totally separate theology from the rest of Christianity. 
that's when like the question, at least for me, and this is the pastor speaking, I guess, is, is the (laughs) theology life-giving? And if so, who is it life-giving for? Because Mm. if, if in the end, it's just for the sake of the KKK, like if it's their own agenda, Mm -hmm. their own beliefs, feeding themselves, okay, not really life-giving. If it's everyone Mm -hmm. else, like extending from the group, is that life-giving? And if so, like, why do we consider that to be so? That's, oh, I, I'm in line with you where that would be a situation where they are a heretic because they are trying to preach that they are in line with the rest of doctrines or, you know, institutionalized religion or even just biblical faith, but they are distinctly against the group as a whole because I don't think the group as a whole would agree with some of their messages. That would be a heretic, in my opinion. I really like what you're saying about like the, like what is the outcome? I feel like that totally goes back to like you will know them by their fruits. Absolutely. Like where Jesus is like talking with those parables about like good fruit and bad fruit and like you'll know whether or not they're from the vine if they like look like me. Well, and this is where James would come in as well and say faith without works is dead. Like you can, Mm -hmm. you can give mental assent Mm-hmm. You can say all the right things. You can say you agree with all the right things. And yep. that's probably what the KKK is trying to establish is like, look at all the common ground we have. We just have a different interpretation. Really? Right. Should, they're just marketing to Christians. Honestly, it's kind of smart. I'll give them that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it absolutely gets down to, but what does it make you act like? And does it make right. you right. act like Jesus? Okay. Emily, what do you think mm-hmm. about this? I think there's a difference between a group that's obviously non-Christian and a group or person that is a heretic. I don't think I like calling the KKK heretics. I think I like calling them non-Christian. Mm. Okay. I think we need the heretics. The people who are like stick in the mud. I'm Christian. I don't know what to think about mm. this. I think it might be this other way. There you go. Okay. I think we need that. You're reserving heretic as a label for individuals? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, maybe even well, a community like my the oneness Pentecostal example. I think could apply here. Right. Yeah. Or like Gnosticism. Um, sure. Yeah. Or even right. like some other well, views of the Trinity, like partialism mm-hmm. or stuff well, like that. Okay. So I'm going to challenge that a little bit further. <laughs> instead okay. of saying well, please, non- please, you know, go for it. Instead of saying non-Christian, saying un-Christian, because you, <gasps> oh, I, I think about. I think about the other religions and other faith backgrounds that Mm. do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but in my opinion, and that's even maybe a completely different episode, but I still believe that, you know, they are clearly children of God. It's un-Christian where they are, they are un-Christ-like, they are undoing. Yeah, they are Mm un-Christ-like, you know, because I think you can be Christian and be Christ-like. Would you use the word antichrist? Do you think that would apply? Like the Antichrist spirit or whatever, mm. like. Yes, if you, oh. depending on how you write it out, you know what I mean? If it's non-capital sure. A and there's like a dash between anti and Christ, because then that's clearly defining that they are right. anti-Christ, not the right. Antichrist, but anti-negating Christ. Christ. I like mm-hmm. that distinction, actually. Yeah. Okay, but how would you, so what word would you use then for like, the like the people who like might be the holy fool or like are trying to be the thorn in the flesh of a community but like in a 
in a positive sense. Like they're trying to speak truth to power. They're trying to say like, I don't think it should be this way. I think we should be this. Or like, I just have questions about this and I'm not sure I'm on board with all of it. Like what would we call those people then? Yeah. Emily, what would you call Stephen? I don't think we can just like discount them because they're like, (laughs) wait, what did you say, Stephen? I said, yeah, Emily, what would you call Stephen right now? (laughs) (laughs) How do we label him? What is he? So maybe that is the question of is the issue then that we need to have a label in order to identify someone or can Mm. we just let their existence be as it is? I just feel like there's too much like writing off of people like the church going thing Mm -hmm. is a great example Mm -hmm. because I feel like growing up and I don't want to like point fingers because I don't think I ever got this explicitly, but there was just this attitude of, well, they're not really a Christian because they're not going to church like they're unchurched. Right. And I think there's, I think we just write people off too easily and too quickly. And so I want to get away from that. And maybe that's why I'm like kind of seeking out a label for this because I think there's a function. I'm raising my hand. I have a label. Please. I see you. So we have, so we have non-Christians and we have un-Christians. What about de-Christians where they're like destructing, like they're, they're trying to, to rethink. They're trying to like deconstruct. Mm. So they're a de-Christian. That's a new term that I just coined, copyrighted. Please don't steal it. I don't, I don't hate that. Mm-hmm. May, I, may I pitch what I've been kind of mulling over in my own brain? Oh, fine. Please. I guess we've been talking long enough. <laughs> I came to this Ravel recording ready to make the claim that I am post-Christian. Okay. Or <sighs> post-church. Ugh. Now, so I've been I've been researching the post movement, like post dash uh, whatever you put after okay. that. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, you should explain this because this was really interesting. Stephen was talking to me about this the other day. This is good. Okay, I'm I'm all ears. So what I'm kind of working with, um, I'm going to draw an example to music first. Um, I am a metalhead for sure. Like if I open Spotify, I'm probably listening to metal music, and. There's a genre called hardcore, like hardcore music. It's defined is clearly defined by a few characteristic, uh, like genre flavors. Like this type of guitar tone is used, or like these types of drum beats are used a lot. Even this kind of like screaming is used over like different styles, like in metalcore or deathcore or whatever. And then there is post hardcore that recognizes its roots back in the hardcore land. But it says, hmm. we're going to take some of the primary ingredients of those out and see what happens when we bring something new in. Okay. So a band can call themselves post-hardcore by saying, hey, this is like, we're, we're going to recognize our roots and recognize kind of the progression uh, that we're coming out of, like, mm. as we learn to express our own uh, sensibilities through our music. But we're also going to try and introduce a couple new things here. We're going to kind of tweak the system mm. a little bit. Okay. So when I pitch I'm post-Christian or post-church, I'm not saying I'm anti. And I'm also right. not saying I'm no longer. Sure. I, I'm not mm. like walking away from my faith. But um, the etymological definition that people have kind of landed on when they whenever they append uh, post to a word is essentially like, past the primacy of okay blank fill in the blank um okay. so to say post-christian is like Stephen might be past the primacy of 
the Sunday church thing being the primary expression of how to live a Christian life. Stephen might be mm. post uh, the inerrant uh, view of the Bible that he was handed when he was young. Um, mm-hmm. He's not. He's not saying. Uh, there's a difference between post-Christian and not Christian in the sense sure. that there's a difference between post-metal and not metal. There's a there's a backwards like it's looking over your shoulder and honoring the stuff that's mm-hmm. back there. Yeah. But then being able to say like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk forward into something else and explore. Okay. What I'm allowed to explore. How does that land with you guys? I guess I can get. I guess I can get behind that term now that you've explained it. I still like my term, but I also appreciate and acknowledge yours. Mm-hmm. I do like that term. I do like how you explained it, but I feel like too many people don't see it that way, unfortunately. But I like. I really liked your explanation of it. Mm. But I think too many people see it as like a like a postmodern mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. type of Christianity. Like I'm post christian like nothing matters like i don't know i feel like it gets a bad rap i guess well i mean like you just said it post modern right it's it's recognizing (laughs) modernism like as a philosophical (laughs) tradition and then it's exploring the things that modernism wasn't allowing us to explore did you guys ever read rachel held evans did you read anything by her yes i loved her work so much steven i think you'd really like her i I actually think you'd really like her book, Inspired. I think you'd love that one. That's my favorite book. Mm. That is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what book she says this in, but, or maybe I just heard her in an interview because she was doing a lot of interviews a couple years ago. She would say stuff along the lines of, like, we cannot forget the tradition that gave us Christ. Right. Like, whichever, like, wherever we grew up, like, no matter what we think now, it's like, we still need to, like, nod to it. Even mm-hmm. if like we disagree with it, if even if we were bad of a part, uh, like we were part of a bad community, the the fact that like it, it introduced us to Jesus still, like whether or not it was evangelicalism mm. or Catholicism mm. or mm-hmm. like right. we need to on some level like recognize where we've been and like what's a part of our story. And so I do like that aspect too of how you're using post Christian that like it is kind of a nod back to this is where I've been mm-hmm. and I'm not completely leaving it. Right. Yeah, and in fact, I I think. Kind of what you're speaking to is what Richard Rohr would probably call the perennial tradition, which is saying, like, we have a bedrock somewhere and we're going to call right. that Christ. But then we're kind of standing on that huh. and and recognizing, um, like, kind of doing some deep interfaith work and recognizing where mm-hmm. the Christ spirit is present in Hinduism and Buddhism and the other mm-hmm. world religions that we have mm-hmm. famously and uh, catastrophically done literal war with in the past right and still and still we're here and we do have christ as as rachel had held evans put it like we can't forget that um mm-hmm. I, so like hmm. post-christian though i don't think is I, it's not saying post-christ either or anti or no longer mm. moved mm-hmm. by christ uh, i think adding the ian at the end of christ it that's mostly what i'm rejecting I feel like I'm trying to reject is like I'm leaving Mm. behind extraneous beliefs or practices or approaches to what I was taught and kind of leaving that behind and trying to get back to like, let's strip the eanity off of Christianity and see what happens when Christ (laughs) is left behind. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, and the, and the other hard thing to struggle with is here is I don't feel like I've chosen this. Like mm. I, I, I honestly don't know if we ever outright choose our beliefs uh i feel like 
beliefs are uncovered <laughs> and I feel like beliefs are revealed. Yeah. But so as a thought experiment, could you guys tomorrow morning, if I, if I asked you to consciously choose to believe in Pastafarianism and the spaghetti God, could you actually believe that that's the way the world worked for a day? Mm-hmm. I think I could act like it. I'm, I'm a decent actor for not having done it professionally. <laughs> I think I could act it, but I think, I think you're kind of onto something. I think that's yeah. a really interesting idea too. And Stephen, do you think that, do you think that you were predetermined to believe those things oh, that you don't find yourself Josh. choosing to believe? Because <laughs> it sure sounds like it. <laughs> oh. See, uh, I, honestly, that it's stuff like that that, like makes me question oh maybe some things are like more predetermined than i like to give them credit for Mm. which is crazy to me to consider i might say they're predetermined in uh like a pure mechanics sense i think given my my cultural background where i grew up who i was born to who my specific parents are the churches i've been to i think um and like of course, what podcasts I listen to, like, I don't think I'd be here remotely had I never started listening to Bad Christian, which some people might say is right. like, maybe you should have never listened to them. But mm. at the same time, it's mm-hmm. like, I, I think there are so many invisible cultural uh, psychological forces that kind of do a like a leading kind of work or what it makes me think of is how in the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom is personified as a she and she is always like drawing people along the journey, right? Mm-hmm. So like the 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 proverbs writers they talk about like you have mm-hmm. to first meet wisdom at the door of your house, and then wisdom as soon as you open the door, wisdom is out in the street beckoning you into the street, and as soon as you're out mm-hmm. in the street, she's at the gate of the city beckoning you out into the wilderness, right? Like there's a wooing effect. Hold on, hold, wait a minute. I this is like nothing new to me. And I'm like just thinking for the first time, has anyone ever made that parallel to like Jesus as like the way of being like Christ is like beckoning, like, like in the sense that like the Bible doesn't necessarily have all the answers. And therefore, like, that's why it's a wisdom tradition, primarily mm-hmm. that yeah. like the Bible is leading us towards wisdom and not answers. There and that go. like, therefore, Christ is the culmination in that because like Jesus isn't coming to give us all the answers on a platter. He's like right. leading us into a new way of being. Has anyone made that parallel with like Proverbs and the personification of wisdom? Not that I know of. I mean, you, you just did just now. Yeah, I know I'm of the you. first in 2000. Oh, oh, man, that's really so, interesting. I've never thought about that. I like that. Oh, huh. yeah. I don't know what to do with that. That's interesting. Ooh. Huh. Oh, but and, and well, even then mm-hmm. in our very scriptures, we're seeing that movement of there's the thing behind you in Stephen's case, it's like congregational church. There's the thing behind mm-hmm. you and wisdom is calling you out the door. It seems like, isn't that weird? Like, it seems like you've been taught that mm-hmm. wisdom is always going to get you in the doors of these places. Mm. Well, I mean, that just goes back to what you were saying, Emily, about like the words Ecclesia and the apostles Greek word, just mm-hmm. referring to like being sent out. Like, I don't know. There's like so much, emphasis in american christianity on the great commission and like being sent but it's like only for evangelistic conversion's sake not for this like wisdom's sake and i feel like that's so different Mm. well so steven maybe if you go back to my episode of no normal people you can think about is it 
free choice or free will. Because there again lies the problem. I, you know, are you, are you one where, you know, you are able to choose? Or is it where you are the ultimate source of your choice? Because that's the distinction of free choice and free will. Steven? I'm paralyzed by that question. I, I don't even know where to start. Okay. 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 Stephen, I hereby declare that you are therefore fulfilling the Great Commission by leaving the church. Yes. You are being oh. sent. <laughs> oh, I have Sorry. permission. You, you could put it in that language. I have permission. You have permission. You have another fantastic. Okay. So like, let's, let, there is a community thing that happens in Facebook groups for like other podcasts. You have permission being mm-hmm. one of them, Josh, that you and I are a part of. Bad Christian Club, another one. And I'm not a part of that one. I'm not a bad Christian. Oh, that's true. I am. But (laughs) both communities are specifically geared around and like they have actual rules in like the Facebook groups that say we're actively working to reject groupthink and we're going to handle people on an individual Mm -hmm. basis and like treat ideas with respect and not just say, hey, there's a status quo to meet here and Mm -hmm. and uh, and something to meet. Right. So that's why I find meaning in there. Um, The thing I wanted to say uh, about the D and D group to bring it back there is that there, I think that a small group setting like that, uh, centered around D and D centered around, I don't know, just like centered around going on art walks or a community mm-hmm. that's, or a concert or yeah, that's built around like, uh, going fishing every week or something like, again, not necessarily like Bible study, small group, classic, what we think of small group, but I think a group of that size that is small, <laughs> <laughs> to put it that way, I think we get to bring it back to all the way, like at the beginning of what I was talking about. Like, I think in a group that size, we get exactly the right cocktail of all these feel good uh, chemicals in the brain, endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. And it mm. it keeps us in balance. I think we have enough of we're meeting a goal or we have a goal or we're doing something together that gives us dopamine endorphins. You feel um like the chemical classically is to mask physical pain, but this is why it actually feels good to cry because it actually helps mask emotional pain too. Mm. Right. And then Mm. serotonin you get when you have a group and uh, you're trusting each other. People are being affirmed. People are being like praised. Um, Oxytocin is coming when we have trust and love and openness and friendship and like gathering around a community thing. We have a sense of safety I think once the group gets too big, those go out of balance. So I think... Oh, I would completely agree with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so to bring it back to a previous statement you've made, Josh, I think the optimal... You had a theory about... I was just going to bring this up. I know exactly what you're going to say. House churches on the return. And I Mm -hmm. think micro communities, I think, are the way that... I seem to be seeing and hearing a lot of people our age, maybe our age, a little older, this kind of generation. Again, I'm also like putting myself into groups that think like this, like you have permission and bad Christian, but it seems like we're all kind of getting to a place where we're like, we have to shrink things down a lot more in any, in order for anything to be more meaningful than what we're experiencing on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Does that sound fair? No, that sounds very fair. But that's exactly why I think we need those quote unquote 
heretics. Although I'm like, I'm trying to use that label loosely because I do think we should not completely identify people with their ideas. I think we should engage mm-hmm. with ideas like dissociated from personhood. Sure. Um, but I think that that is why we need those people to like draw us closer to truth mm-hmm. and like question mm. us thinking we have everything correct because like it kind of goes back to like we don't have 100% correct theology because if we did we would be God like we have to accept that there's like some right. margin of error there would be no need for this podcast yeah exactly yeah so I've, I would argue that's why we need those people that like push the bounds of a religious community yeah mm-hmm. and I don't think I think people who feel like they are the ones called to be like pushing the bounds. I think they have the most permission to speak in a micro community where we have, we have Mm. enough diversity in a wide sense to get enough life experience uh, diversity so that we can actually contribute to one another and not just say like, Mm. we all grew up in the same place, same time, but we also have optimal diversity in a depth sense where we we're in a setting where we get to know another individual in this group at like, such a deep level that we can't once we've graduated into like congregational group size setting Mm -hmm. yes because people who feel like they have to like push the status quo or like adopt the heretic or call themselves (laughs) post-christian like we don't necessarily feel the freedom to do so unless we already have a tight micro community in which we have enough trust to not be ostracized once we start talking. Right. It kind of goes back to the idea of um, like the worst person to critique something is someone who exists on the outside. Mm -hmm. But the best person to critique it is the one who's on the inside and can actually do something about it. Sure. Yeah. But so would you say that I'm guilty of like putting myself on the outside if I have a well-meaning critique of the church? Like if I'm post-Christian and like Uh, not going to church, am I guilty of that? Mm. guilty of wait guilty of what well i agree that most meaningful critique comes from within an organization or within an ideological structure um oh no okay i see what your question is now no i would say no because it's not like it's not like you've never been christian right it's not like you are past christ oh you have like you have existed in the tradition it would be like i feel like the closest other equivalent would be if I'm employed, I've never been employed at Starbucks, but if all I can mm. do is criticize Starbucks and someone's like, wait, do you work for them? Like, are you trying to change things? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I've never worked oh, for them. Right. I yeah. just like, I hate them and I want them to do these things. But, and they're like, well, that's kind of pointless. Like you don't, you're not employed there. Right. That makes sense. I mean, like yeah. that's, a, I don't know. I'm using the example. Like obviously there's issues of consumerism, but like, it'd be way different if I was employed at Starbucks. And you and were wanting like, to make changes because you were critiquing what's happening at yeah. Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Or or even I, if I had been previously employed by Starbucks and I'm like mm. critiquing it after the fact and be like, you know, I left for these reasons. It didn't change. I like couldn't stay employed there. But I, sure. I hope it changes. I think that's very different than like never having been a part of it and like ripping it to shreds. Sure. Uh, it's like, why should we as a church care what Richard Dawkins has to say about Christianity? It's like, right. what are you, uh, why, why? <laughs> right. Which to me, I think is the difference of someone who's like the thorn in the side or the prophet in the community versus oh. the right. outsider An just outsider. being like, no, it's all crap. Yeah. Mm. There you go. Oh man. Well, 
So I actually wanted to play you guys a song. I got oh. permission from the uh, from the founders of Bad Christian. They have a little side project uh, just called Matt and Toby after their first names. But they had a record come out a couple of years ago called I Quit Church. Oh. And was this through their metal band that you listened to or is this a different thing? OK. Yeah, it was through Emery. I so I got permission to play I Quit Church on our podcast. So oh, because like. Cool. I was talking to them in our private discord about it. And it's like, this so perfectly encapsulates the weird melancholy. I feel about saying I quit church mm-hmm. or like adopting post-Christian as a label. The, the song has such a good, like mournful flavor to it where it's recognizing I'm leaving something, but yeah. it's also like in the bridge, he's, he's like screaming. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Well, let's listen to it. Today, turned my back towards her and just walked away, but it hurts all the same. Six thousand years, and I'm left with the blame. It's over, it's over, it's over. As I looked up and asked God why Is this all that he planned for me? A sermon, a show, a lie
You were right, Stephen. It's very melancholic. Mm. It is, yeah. Do you feel like, then, that this song fits you and where you're at? Uh, Yeah, I do. Like, even in the storytelling he has going on in the lyrics, like when he said, like, I thought the preacher would grab my arm, tell me I was wrong, and we could weather the storm, but he never said a word. Like I, I, there, there was part of me that felt like it was way too easy to leave church and, uh, it was like, oh, I guess this just, not just, it's not part of me anymore. That's weird. So that, that really resonated. And, uh, man, I just, I love the, the vibe he gives that. Cause I think that perfectly, Mm -hmm. again, kind of what I was trying to say was I, I didn't necessarily, I don't necessarily feel like I chose this and yeah, we can have a conversation about whether I was predestined uh, to be in this place in my life, like in regards to congregational Mm -hmm. church, but it does kind of encapsulate, like it does really well at capturing that melancholy and that sadness. Like, Mm -hmm. man, there was some really good stuff back there, but it doesn't, it doesn't connect anymore. And, and I'm sad it's not working for me. Like I'm almost jealous of the people who Mm -hmm. are able to, say like yeah i go to church every week and i love it and it's the best thing because i've been there before Mm. and i'm Mm -hmm. like i feel jealous of that kind of sense of security and that uh that certainty in the thing right yeah Mm -hmm. oh as a pastor that song kind of makes me like sad for the pastor because like in that line that Mm. you just said like he could like i thought you were gonna reach out and grab me and we could like talk about Mm. this but you didn't like that for me is sad. Like that makes me sad because as a pastor, that's what you should be doing. Like that's what you should be called and moved to do is to be present with people in their struggles and in their wrestling with their identity and with their faith and with their beliefs and questioning the institution and questioning, you know, life decisions or whatever the case may be. And I'm really glad that you played that song because it made me think of, so I posted a picture on Instagram um, where I ordered this t-shirt and it says, love thy neighbor. And then it makes a list of who said neighbor is. Is it the immigrant? Is it, you know, a gay person? Is it a a, a person who's, um, you know, paralyzed? Is it a homeless person? Whatever the case may be. And I had a former classmate from Laurel High School comment and she had said, you're the pastor that I wish I had. And that just made me think about like, that's Whoa. so sad that that's all it takes is Ugh. to just be present and to say like, you know what, if you're going to quit church, I, in a sense, will quit church with you if it means being present and walking through this with you. Because as a pastor, that's my job is to Ugh. is to do that. So I'm really glad that you played the song. I love mm-hmm. it. I am too. Steven, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is going to be helpful or not for you, but I've I've had this analogy for a while about the translations of the Bible 
I feel like I've heard people say this, that like whichever translation is the one that gets you to read the Bible is the good one for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like God's going to speak to you through it somehow. Right. Like, yeah. just whichever one is going to get you to read it. And I really like applying that attitude to church on some level mm. that like, whichever church is going to get you to go to church and be a part of community. I mean, we're not talking about cults here. This, that's like a whole separate discussion, like the idea of toxic communities and like <laughs> right. bad stuff. Yeah. But like on some level, I think that's kind of true. Like whichever church is going to get you to go to church, like for you to experience that community, then that's good. And for you mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. that's not the institutionalized church. And right. I think that's okay. I really do. Oh, Thank you, guys. Thanks for letting me process on our podcast. This is yeah, totally. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's what we're here for. We're unraveling oh, this with so, you. Well, well, actually, Emily, we're unraveling it. Right. Someone pointed oh, out that you said mm-hmm. that previously, and I was like, oh, she did say unraveling. That's true. <laughs> we are unraveling. I like that oh, better, anyways. So good. Well, so I wanted to say a huge Man. thank you to Matt and Toby for letting me use that song and. Uh, and share yeah, that with our Ravel community. I also want to thank Louis Zong for the use of his song in full color off his album here. Mm-hmm. Go get his work on Spotify and Bandcamp and uh, support musicians in the time of COVID. It's important to everyone that we have music out of this weird period of our life. Also, if you guys want to uh, follow us anywhere, we're at Ravel Pod and we post discussion questions each week. We really want people to be able to like be a part of the conversation just like we are so please follow us if you want to be a part of the conversation also uh you can find any of our twitter handles in the show notes if you want to follow any of us personally uh our email is the ravelpod at gmail.com if you want to leave us a longer message anywhere um also please leave us a review um we were just looking at how many of you have been listening to us and to be honest it's kind of blown us away that our downloads are already in the hundreds and we feel really thankful for that. And we also feel um, really thankful that you are a part of this with us. So mm-hmm. um, if you'd like us to be found by other people, it means a whole lot to give us a review on iTunes. Emily, would you lead us out? Absolutely. Whether you're a heretic, an unchristian, a non-Christian, a post-Christian, or still figuring that out, we're raveling this with you. And it's a beautiful journey that we are all embarking on together. Amen. Amen. Amen.